the Light a Candle meeting mission statement. It is the group conscience of Light a Candle that speakers have a minimum of one year of abstinence. While we recognize that multiple years of back-to-back abstinence is the goal and ideal of recovery, time is not the only indicator of recovery, nor does time speak to all of our members. In the fellowship of OA, we are a large demographic in various stages of recovery that may be considered. For example, young and old, male and female, differing sexual orientation, compulsive overeater, anorexic, bulimic, body dysmorphic, multiple addictions, members in relapse, members coming out of relapse, etc. The group Conscience of Light a Candle considers the language of the heart and the spiritual principle of the daily reprieve contingent on one's spiritual condition are more effective messengers of recovery as outlined in the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions. Therefore, the program chairs of Light a Candle are entrusted to schedule speakers that convey the above-stated ideals in their personal stories of recovery. The program chairs must also endeavor to strike a fair balance of speakers representing all groups of people and all eating disorders in OA. Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle Podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Marina. Taller people than I. Okay, hi, I'm Marina. Hi, I'm a recovering um, bulimic and compulsive eater. And um, thank you to Jen for asking me to speak. She had no idea that she got probably the most nervous speaker in OA to lead a long meeting. I, too, um, 22 years in, sweat for a three minute pitch, let alone a 30 minute pitch. So we'll see how this goes. So, um, okay. Welcome to the newcomers. This program um, gave me a life and continues to change my life. Um, congratulations to the candle takers. Um, I guess I just want to say again about the newcomer. I remember what it was like crawling in here 22 years ago. Um, I was pretty desperate. Um, and I know the courage that it takes to walk in here as a newcomer. I was um, terrified. But at that point, absolutely willing. Um, this feels weird to talk into the microphone. Um, let's see. I'll just do what it was like, um, how I got here, and what it's like today. So um, I grew up in a really chaotic environment, or what felt like chaos. Um, it's funny. I, I feel um, slightly hesitant to describe chaos because it's taped, but um, no chance of my family listening listen to this, I guess. Um, yeah, there was chaos. There was a lot of ism around me, a lot of alcoholism, a lot of um, affairs, a lot of strange people sleeping on our couches and floors. Um, something didn't feel right in the household that I grew up in, but it seemed to be okay with everyone else. Um, so I kept thinking it was me. There's something wrong with me for not being okay with this. And um, there wasn't anything wrong with me. And actually, there's probably nothing wrong with them either. Like, they get to live the lives that they wanted to li- want to live. But I had no, as a child, no control over it. Um, there was absolutely no power to change anything. And if I did try, I was really sensitive, by the way. So if I did try to change anything, I was... Um, 
punished in certain ways for it, sort of ridiculed, um, chastised. So I learned to be really quiet and really small. Like just don't rock the boat. Get by until you can get out. And I did that for 18 years. Um, and, and longer, actually, um, until I got tired of being really small and really quiet. Um, I just remember my ism starting even before I learned to do like my version of crazy with food. Um, I learned to lock myself in my room, isolate from people, not make any friends. I'm not someone who has a lifelong friend. I have friends, um, maybe for I'm, I'm close to 50. I have friends for maybe the past 20, maybe 30 years, but I'm not someone who has friends from grade school. Um, it was just a different time in my life. I was a completely different person. Um, I didn't know how to be with people. That's one of the biggest gifts this program has given me, the ability to have relationships with people long-term. Um, so, right, I stayed in my room. I didn't have friends. I didn't talk to family. I didn't talk, I didn't talk to anybody. Um, and then I got to high school, and uh, getting attention was uncomfortable, but wanting attention was uncomfortable. Um, understanding how to get attention um, uh, based on appearance, um, understanding that I, I, I just, I, I just dove into the, the food, um, I, I, or rather, I dove into starving uh, first. I'm a failed anorexic, but I rocked bulimia. Um, I did. Um, I mean, I dabbled with restriction. Um, I'm a serious uh, overexerciser, left to my own devices, but. Um, I discovered bulimia after a couple of years of dabbling with starving. Um, my parents noticed what I was doing with food, and they would threaten me with, you know, we're going to take this away from you, we're going to you know, do this, we'll cut off this if you don't start eating. So I read an article in some, you know, whatever, teen magazine type thing about a woman who had bulimia, and I thought, what a great idea. Really, what a great idea. So I stayed home from school, and I practiced with different foods what I could get rid of really easily. And um, I'm serious. I rocked it, man, from the beginning. So that's what I did. That was my thing. Um, eat, get rid of it. And then I um, discovered exercise, and um, I grew up athletic. I was a swimmer, and I just I exercised and, and purged my way through uh, high school and college. And then um, just to stay numb, stay numb, stay small, stay, stay quiet. Um, and I got it, it was just about the time that I was leaving college. Um, it just seemed like it would be a good idea to stop this thing. You know, I was graduating. Maybe it would be, maybe it would behoove me to stop. Um, I checked myself into um, uh, a program that's not related to the 12 steps at all. It's just an eating disorder center. Checked myself out three weeks later because it terrified me. Um, dove back into my disease like that, um, checked myself into an outpatient program, and um, I'm from Atlanta, um, and I grew up in the burbs of Atlanta, and I was going to these meetings in the burbs, and um, this outpatient program introduced me to OA. Um, I think my heart has finally stopped beating out of my chest. <laughs> um, um, so I, I was going to these meetings, OA meetings, and I would just look around the room through my filter. 
um, just thinking all of you were women who were bitching about your kids and your husbands. I'm like, that's all I heard. But I would smile and stay quiet and nod and leave. And as soon as I finished that six-week program, I went right back into the thing that I was doing before. And my version of crazy, again, is getting rid of anything I ate and exercising like a madwoman. I... I'll talk all about what it was like. Um, I just just to um, share what I did with food in case anybody does or doesn't relate. I um I was not so much a binger, but a picker and a grazer. Um, food scared me enough that I was like I just enough control that I I didn't do mass quantities. But just like all day long, picking, grazing, getting rid of it, picking, grazing, getting rid of it, and exercising. I remember being so grateful that there was a gym that I could go to before and after work because I had nothing else to do. I didn't have friends. I didn't have anything else going on. So thank God there was a place for me to go and exercise two and three hours before and after work. Um, okay, so uh, I lost my train of thought with that. Okay, so after the outpatient program, which introduced me to the 12 steps, um, I still wasn't ready. I wanted to stop, but I wasn't willing to do anything differently. Um, I was terrified of letting go, you know, and changing. And um, quite honestly, I couldn't handle myself without the numbing effect of what I had been doing. So I just went back into it. Anyway, I moved out to Los Angeles. I was 24, and L.A. is a great place to hit bottom. Um, it is. I mean, not that I was a comfortable person in my skin, but anything, anything that brought me comfort, I was stripped of. I didn't know anybody out here. Um, I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anything. I was a personal trainer, which was also really great. <laughs> in the gym all the time and, in, you know, in, in tight little clothing and trying to sell people a fitness program based on what I looked like and... Um, I mean, really, I hit bottom like that. It didn't take any time. So how I got here, again, I knew about the 12 steps, but it wasn't even on my radar. I was pretty desperate, like miserable, quickly. Um, but a client of mine was really candid about her history of eating disorder um, in our initial consultation. And she, um, I just, oh, yeah, yeah what would you do? I didn't disclose anything about myself, but what would you do? Just only go to OA, like, and I smiled and tucked it in the back of you know my brain and went on for another week or two and then one day just called her sobbing, begging for her forgiveness because I was being unprofessional. And um, what did it, look? I wanted to know what did OA do for you? This is what I experienced in Atlanta and like why on earth why do you go? So she told me about it and told me where to go. Also told me where I might relate a little bit more, um, meetings that might speak to me, um, and I went. So my first meeting, and um, I was I was struck abstinent, but I was also incredibly willing to stop. At that point, my life was so small. Um, I remember again, you know, I, I moved here knowing no one, but I would look around, and granted, this is a script that I wrote, but I would look around and see that all of you had friends and family and. You were eating and laughing while you were eating, and <laughs> and you weren't in gym clothes all the time. And um, actually, everyone's in gym clothes now all the time. But um, it was different then. Um, I, I was just so aware that my life was nothing, and there must have been a connection. You know, there must be a connection to my crazy and what my life looks like, and maybe there's something that can be done about it. So I was willing, and. Um, 
stayed willing through the excruciating discomfort. I mean, I can't tell you how, yes, I can tell you, you know, what it's like to land here and stop doing what you do with food, right? Just, you want to know why you eat? Stop. You want to know why you stop throwing up? Stop. See what happens. I mean, I I wanted to leap out of my skin 24-7 for a long time. I have to say the first two years were rough, uh, but I got through it, and I got through it because I kept showing up, and all of you told me what you were going through and how you did it, and I thought, well, if they can, maybe maybe I can too. I know I'm tragically unique, but maybe <laughs> I can. But seriously, I, I would just, it was because of you, all the things that you, you guys, gals, um, went through and shared about honestly. Um, and I, would just, I would just sit in meetings. I was quiet. Not as small anymore, but I was quiet. Um, and I would sit in the back of the room, and I didn't share for a long time. Um, but I would just listen, like wide-eyed, gobsmacked, jaw-hitting the ground. Like people are sharing real stuff, and they're so profound. And how do they get through these things? And anyway, slowly but surely, I had to find an abstinence. I mean, I, I got abstinent. My abstinence is still in the throwing up. That's it. I got a million guidelines, but my abstinence is no getting rid of food. I really wanted something squeaky clean. I wanted, like, I wanted, you know, know this, know that. It didn't work for me. And I know to this day that still doesn't work for me. Anything like that feels like restriction for me. I completely respect anyone that has a different abstinence. I know it takes, it takes all kinds um, for us to get well in here, but um, that's what works for me. So my guidelines, anything that makes me speedy, not a good idea. You know, anything that takes the, the edge off or the appetite, you know, edge, um, not a good idea. Exercise in moderation. I don't know if I could exercise the way I used to if I wanted to. Um, but moderate exercise. Um, nothing laxative like. It's a good idea for me to have three meals a day. I don't always, but it's a good idea. It's a good idea to have a snack if I want one. It's a good idea to go to meetings. You know, there are a lot of guidelines in my life, but the abstinence is no throwing up, and that's it. Um, there's some nuggets. Let's check the time. Some nuggets that um, I live by. Um, upon entering program, I forfeited the right to manipulate my body in any way. One of my first sponsors said that. I swear that saves me today. Um, so 22 years in, I have 22 years of abstinence. I mean, I haven't thrown up in 22 years. Um, this program has given me a life. It has allowed me to have relationships. I'm married. I have, I have friends. I have really good friends. That made me cry. <laughs> um, what else? I got that nervous lip twitch thing too right now. <laughs> um, okay. So, so through working these steps, I have found a higher power. I continue to seek a bigger higher power all the time. It's never set. Um, I forget that there's, there's a higher power oftentimes. It's program, I, mean, I do it so imperfectly, and I still, I'm still abstinent, and I still have recovery. Um, but I'm so imperfect. The only thing I do perfectly, pretty well, is show up. Um, I keep coming back, and I maintain abstinence. Um, but through working the steps, I did. I found a higher power. Um, I made amends to my family. I, um, 
with all these people that I thought were crazy and flawed in my family. I found my part in all of my relationships with them, and I actually made amends and um, I'll share a little story about how that applies today. There's a, there's a part of my family that um, I've avoided for a while. It's my mom's side of the family, and I love them, but I've had to love them for a, from afar for a long time. Um, the last time I was, the last time I had been there, ten years ago, it was just like toxic soup. I'm related to half this tiny town in Florida, and um, it's true. Um, and that just people are in each other's business, and there's a lot of ism going around. And this is my filter and my judgment, right? I hear that, but um, it just, I came back to LA ten years ago feeling pummeled, and I couldn't go back. But my my nephew was graduating from high school there um, a couple weeks ago, and I thought, you know, I really want to go show up for him, and I want to see these people. I haven't seen them in a long time, and I was nervous and a little sweaty on the plane, and you know, kind of just like, oh God, I'm going, I'm going back to you know the scene of the crime, and I had a ball. I had a ball. I got to appreciate who they are, what they bring to the table, um, cook with my uncle Nick, roll grape leaves with my aunt Joey. Um, hang out with my nephew who just graduated. I got to see my sister. I got to see my brother. I hung out with my mom. We had a ball. It was great. It was quick and dirty. Uh, four days, like four full days with, you know, day of travel on either end. So just in, out. But it was good and I would do it again. Um, I wouldn't have been able to do that before. My style before was to cut and run. Um, if I didn't know how to set boundaries with you, or I didn't have any boundaries. Okay. That's something else I wanted to talk about. Boundaries growing up, there was no such thing. Again, I grew up in a household of people all over the place, strangers that I didn't know in my house. Um, I wasn't in my house as a kid, but in the house that I lived in. And um, my clothes were my mom. I mean, she would just come in and take my things. And like nothing was mine. And there was, there was just chaos everywhere. Things, it was dirty and it was nuts. So, so... Upon entering the program, I just I didn't set up boundaries. They were walls, man, just all around me, and I would just cut people out because I didn't know how to deal with the discomfort of saying, no, that doesn't work for me. So that was my first boundary, just saying no, uh-uh, no, um, and not letting people in. But now it's different. I've softened, and I can go to Florida and see these people, and these people, they're my family. I can see my family and, and, and have a good time. And, and I set boundaries there, too. My mom and my sister were getting into this, this thing that they do in front of me. I said, you know what, you guys? Could you could do it? I'm just, I came home to my place to just, for, just for about 10 minutes. I need some quiet. Would you mind doing that somewhere else? And, and they looked at me shocked. And, and they did. And they left. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and they went away and... Anyway, boundaries, soft, gentle boundaries. I don't have to cut people out the way that I used to anymore just because I was, they make me uncomfortable and I'm uncomfortable with the boundary. Um, I'm going to share how this program has allowed me to maintain a marriage for, I forget, I'm, hor- I'm honestly horrible with dates, 13 years. Um, my husband and I have a really solid foundation. He's in other programs. We speak the same language, which is great. Um, it's convenient. Um, but we didn't always. We didn't, didn't always have that same language. Um, and it's a marriage. You know, there's, it's good. It's bad. It's, what, there, there are moments that are challenging. Um, we've been going through a challenging time lately. And thank you. 
um, I got back from Florida, and there was a thing that I did, and it upset him, and I apologized immediately because I caught myself doing this thing that he doesn't like. But it still, it sent, him to, it sent him to a place, and he was really upset, and he couldn't talk about it at the time, but I got home from work, and I noticed he was still, just he felt a million miles away from me, so I, I asked him about it. Are you okay? Are we okay? And he, he said, I need to talk to you. So he sat on the couch, and I sat against the wall, and just listened. I sat there and listened to him for, I don't know, I mean, it just seemed like forever. He was just talking about, no, 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 it was, like he, he needed to talk about what was going on with him. And because of this program, and I've learned to, I've learned to listen, I've learned to be present, imperfectly, but I've learned to listen, I've learned to be present, I've learned to show up. It's not all about me, it's not all about him. I'm not all bad, nor is he. Um, I didn't get defensive. I didn't even have a dialogue going while he was talking to me. I just listened. And I owned what was mine. Like, really, I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to be bad. I don't want to be miserable. I don't want to be, I don't want to be a cow. I just, um, I owned what was mine. I said I could work on things where it made sense for me to work on. I told him, I said, yeah, I hear you. I think you misunderstood, blah. I mean, and, and it just, and there was that moment, though, when he was telling me what was going on with him where I felt like, oh, we're never going to speak again. For a split second. Like, I, I don't know how I'll ever hug him. After, like, but there was just, like, I just, I just stayed, I just, I, I heard that, and then I just stayed present, and I listened. And there was a natural, there was a moment where it made sense for me to say, can I come over there? And I did, and I hugged him, and it, it, we've just, and we've been a little bit better this past week. Anyway, I, I'm... I attribute what my life looks like today to this program. Again, I had nothing when I got in, in here. I couldn't stand my family. I couldn't stand myself, above all. I couldn't stand myself. Um, all of my worth was um, in my appearance, in my, in, in my BMI, basically. <laughs> the leaner I am, the better. And that was never good enough. Um, and I didn't have friends. And it's because of this program learning to show up, tell the truth, as, as uncomfortable as it is, sweat in front of you, as uncomfortable as it is. Um, God, what else do I want to say? And I'm saying all of these things because this life stuff is the stuff that made me do the crazy with food. I mean, discomfort in relationships is why I got rid of my food and why I over-exercised. Um, so it's all, it all applies, and just, and just learning to sit through it, realize I'm not going to die. Saying yes to leading a 30-minute share, I'm uncomfortable. I'm not going to die. It's fine. <laughs> um, I'm sweating, so what? Um, I've learned to sit with some discomfort. And also I've learned to, um, again, seek a higher power. Um, I couldn't have done this alone. In the beginning, the higher power was you, was the room's. And then it was something else, and then it was something else. And I have a sponsor now who tells me to continue to seek. Um, in the big book, it says, um, you know, uh, shoot, I can't remember right now what it says because I'm nervous, but um, we need God, may you find him now. But it doesn't tell us who God is or where God is. Like, go find, go, may you find him now. Good luck. So, um, so that's what I do. I seek. I read stuff that feels spiritual to me, something that takes me out of, like, what goes on in here, um, and that, that, that's different, that will open my mind. Um, yeah, so I'm constantly...
seeking a higher power. Um, I use the tools of prayer and meditation. I meditate really imperfectly. I don't like it. I still don't like it. I don't like sitting and being quiet. I would rather think. <laughs> I'd rather just think about it. Um, but I've learned to meditate um, with some outside help, like with some outside resources. Um, gosh, what else do I want to say about this? Hmm. That might be it. I just want to say I'm really grateful. I really am. I'm grateful to this program. It gave me a life. It's teaching. It continues to teach me to be one among many, but to really be human. Um, you know, I walk around like, the, the gaping hole inside of me, that God-sized hole of, as I am, I'm not enough. And you fill in the blank. As I am, as a, I'm not enough as a spouse. I'm not enough as a worker. I'm not enough as a friend. I'm not enough, whatever. As a middle-aged woman on the planet, you know, as I am, I'm not enough. So left to my own devices. I mean, I still have the tendency to do all the crazy. I will all, and I believe I will always have that tendency. And I still, I, like, I, I earn this seat every day. Still, I belong here as much as I did day one. Um, but this program helps me manage that. As I am, I'm not enough. I think that might be it. Thanks. <laughs> Any questions? Thanks so much. Um, can you talk a little bit more about your higher power and how that relationship has evolved? Sure. So the question was, um, how has my higher power evolved, the relationship with my higher power? Sure. Um, my first spiritual experience, it was the first time I went through the steps. Um, I still love this. The first moment that I really believed, like my, my first solid spiritual experience, I was washing the dishes. And I was looking out the kitchen window, and I, I lived at the time in an alley, and there was um, a brick wall across from me. I just remember this moment so clearly. I was washing dishes, and I looked up, and I thought, I don't hate myself in my life anymore. Like, that was my first spiritual experience. And, um, I mean, I can't really mention what I read, you know, and what I, what I do outside of here because it's outside stuff, but I try to expose myself to other ways of thinking spiritually as I can. I do it imperfectly. I, life is large. I've got a lot going on, but I try to, to read more, and I try to listen more, too, through meditation. I try to listen. Um, so I believe that I'm not one of those who has really strong gut feelings all the time. You know, that still small voice. I, I don't have that all the time, but when I have it, I have it. Um, I've, I've had some pretty significant moments. Um, there's something else I wanted to say about that relationship. But maybe I wasn't meant to say it. I don't know if that was helpful. Um, but I do continue to seek. I guess one other thing. I'm very human, and I have to expose myself to other ways of thinking. Otherwise, I stay, like again, like with what goes on in my own head. I, I need to know that there's something else. This is the other thing I wanted to say. In the big book, it says God is everything or God is nothing. And for the longest time, I thought, well, everything, of course, right? Someone recently told me, that's just an opinion. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> really? I mean, well, you know, whatever. Take what you want and leave the rest. But I just, it's true. It is. I mean, everything. This is, these are books just written by human beings. It's, but it was just interesting. Like, oh, 
I guess it is. I mean, that's the opinion that I subscribe to today because I, I need to and it works for me. Um, but like exactly what a higher power looks like, I feel like is like may, maybe an outside issue other than like I choose to believe that there's a higher power in everything, in my speaking, in my sweating, in, you know, like in everything going on, good, bad, ugly, otherwise, that helps me function. Anyway, I hope that was helpful. Thank you again for your care. And um, can you talk, kind of follow up on that and talk about what is your daily spiritual practice or, mm-hmm. or whatever? You know, what sure. Okay, so my, my daily, weekly, etc. spiritual practice looks like. Um, I'm best in the mornings as much as I don't want to be a morning person. I am. Um, I get up at 5. That's when I, you know, that's when I exercise. That's when I, I try to... Um, pray and meditate in the morning. Sometimes, I mean, really, my meditation, I have to say, is inconsistent. Um, it can be three minutes. It can be 20. It can be depending on my mood or if I press snooze. Um, but I try to do that daily, and I try to read. My reading has slipped, though, from morning into evening because there's just other stuff that I'm doing now. I've taken on some stuff in my life. Um, so, I tr- But I try to do um, prayer, meditation, and reading. Um, and prayer can happen at any time. It can happen at work when I'm flipping out. I need to go take a walk around the block and, and pray or go to the bathroom. The bathroom's the best best place to pray. Um, yeah, that's what it looks like. <laughs> you say you have this, like, continuous voice that says, I'm not enough, blame, I'm not enough. What do you find now is the voice that kind of, like, takes its place or combats that belief? Mm-hmm. Okay, so what combats my... Can I finish this? Yeah. Yeah, okay, quickly. Uh, so what combats that belief of the not enoughness? Um, it's funny, I was having a conversation just briefly at the beginning of this meeting about that. Like, I just look around and think, if, if I believe you're enough, or if you're enough, then maybe I am too. Honestly, that's what helps me the most, just looking around and saying, he deserves to be here, she deserves to be here, maybe I do too. Like, maybe as I am, I'm enough, just in this moment. But it's really a moment-to-moment thing. I, I do have to remind myself of that a lot. Anyway, 